The views expressed on the International Internet Strangers podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the United Kingdom, the United States, their respective societies for the prevention of cruelty to animals, or postal services. This episode is brought to us by Currency. We all have need for products and services, but how to demand that others give them to you? Why not use Currency? All right, hey everybody, welcome back uh, to International. <laughs> I, I had confidence. I had confidence going into it. I had, in my head, I was like, this word first, this word next. I think that's uh, three for three, isn't it? I've, yeah, it's it's hard to tell because I've been editing like past bits and there's like little little things. Um, I have done it correctly <laughs> on the first try at some point. Uh, but okay. Listeners, you know the show. <laughs> By now, this is probably episode five, maybe. Oh, wow, yeah. Depending on how I, I chop things up. Uh, of the International Internet Strangers podcast. That's Boom. the one. I uh, got a big thumbs up from my co-host. My name is Damon. <laughs> and my name is Zen. And uh, on the show, basically every week, uh, we're going to discuss a mixtape that Zen and I have made for each other at some point in the last 20 years. Or we'll discuss something else, like uh, we just did our horror movies thing, because that's what I wanted to, to chat about. <laughs> um, uh, so we have, at this point, we have finished uh, Zen's first mixtape and a horror movie chat and a little getting to know you. It's been a, that's, that's a recap of what the show has been. If you're not subscribed, that's what you can find. So before we jump into my first uh volley in the the mixed tape exchange i was kind of thinking i forget what i was listening to i always forget what i was listening to <laughs> uh they were talking about oh yeah it was uh, uh I, I like to to give when i when i can remember i like to give credit to the other podcasts i was listening to uh, it's a show called the deep dive uh with jessica st Clair and june diane rayfield and uh Jessica is currently in England recording or filming uh, the show Avenue Five. And it was something mm. five. Um, uh, it's on HBO. Have you seen that? No, I'm I'm not aware of it. What's it about? It's uh, so it's set in the future. It's not too far in the future, but it's the first uh, commercial space cruise. Awesome. And it goes very wrong. Um, I think it's less awesome from the same, uh, a lot of the same creatives as uh, Silicon Valley. Okay. So it's is it kind Zach, of funny then? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's got Zach Woods um, who he, I, I love a weird Zach Woods character. I think his like, yeah, his character on, on the, the show I just mentioned Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. <laughs> It's it marvelously weird, just just a, a little breath. So anyway, she's a, she's in England. She's from uh, Long Island, uh, mm. is where she grew up. She lives in, uh, you know, she's an actor. She lives in California now. Uh, but they were talking about uh, breakfast, 
Yeah. Uh, specifically about the uh, the English breakfast, the full English. I, I and it's it's you know one of those one of those cultural points. Yeah. Because I I don't feel like there's a, a signature American breakfast. Hmm. Okay. Unless it's pancakes and eggs and I was I was going to say I feel like uh, like blueberry pancakes with syrup or something that feels oh, yeah. super American to me. Yeah. Or maybe I like guess... pancakes with bacon. We don't really do that. Yeah. Well, and the bacon's different too. Yeah. I I do have to say I, I much prefer uh, English bacon. If if I've if I've got the choice, and it's harder to to come by uh, over here, but that is one of the highlights of, of the English breakfast for me is is the bacon, better bacon, better sausages. This is nice. This is my stance. <laughs> um, I'm not a tomato guy in Fair. general, but I'm working on it. So yeah, tomatoes are weirdly contentious, aren't they? There's a lot of people who are just like no, and it's usually a textural thing. Is that oh, the right yeah. word? Yeah. So like, you know, you might eat uh, ketchup, but you wouldn't eat a raw tomato or even a cooked tomato. Yeah. And see, that's that's where I fall on the, the outskirts of things. I don't eat ketchup. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I've gotten to a point, I've, I've matured to a point where if it's on the burger I ordered and I don't think about it, mm-hmm. it's fine. I can't have it on a hot dog because it's sitting right there. Yeah, I, I can't escape it, um, and I and I I don't dip anything in ketchup at all. I mean, you know, I I it's not one of my top condiments, but you know, to shun it completely, that is quite unusual, I think. Yeah, and it's as far back as I can remember. It's I have no problem with with salsas or or uh, marinara sauce or anything like that. Just mm. actual tomatoes and ketchup. There you go. And so I, it, it, it's been kind of an interesting ride avoiding ketchup because I went through my, oh, use mustard instead of ketchup phase, but that doesn't work for most things. Mm. That's fine for a hot dog. You don't dip fries in mustard. That's where mayo comes in. Absolutely. That's where I landed because for a while then it was barbecue sauce because that's pretty close. Usually kind of tomato based, pretty vinegary. Yeah. Uh, and when when I have it available, I do love brown sauce. Oh it is yeah, one of my one of the things I picked up that I love the most from England. And uh, talking about bacon, I don't eat bacon anymore, but um, uh, bacon and brown sauce is mm-hmm. top top yeah. combo. <laughs> well, yeah one of my one of my favorite things when because I love an outdoor market as well. Mm. Um, one of my favorite things it was uh, the outdoor market in Barry St. Edmunds. I'm sure it's every outdoor market, but there's the the sausage vendor, yeah, set up in his his little little trailer, and so a sausage with bacon and brown sauce and the the grilled onions, yeah, that was that was the the real real highlight, and then you know fresh produce and what have you, but an excuse to to get a good sausage. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's pretty classic. You get the guy uh, selling, yeah, sausage baps out of a out of a van or whatever. Yeah, um, and that kind of, I mean, to me, it's disgusting because onions <laughs> are poison to me. But that's, uh, that, that's true. Yeah, that smell of like fried onions, that kind of sweet smell, yeah. just wafting across. You're like, 
I must get some of that. It is, it is intoxicating. And that's, that's especially cruel where you can't actually eat them. Mm. I, I mean, I guess that's kind of my experience growing up with coffee in general is kind of an enchanting smell that I'm not allowed to have. <laughs> so, so you were talking about um, the, the English breakfast, the, the yeah. fry up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's it's a bit of a joke internationally that people think we eat that every single day. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's impractical. Absolutely. But, you know, I think like once a week, like maybe yeah. on a weekend you might have a fry up. Um, yeah. And, you know, these days there's like so many amazing veggie alternatives that. That's true. You, you can have like a, a a fake fry up as well. Yeah. Well, the, but there's not not too much uh, by way of meat. It's just it would just sausage and bacon. Yeah. Or you might have a bit of black pudding. Obviously, there's no oh, veggie. That's, right. yeah. that's a. Yep. <laughs> that and it even even in England, that's a controversial inclusion, right? That's not. It's not we... easy on everyone's palate. Sure. Yeah. I think some people are a bit um, squeamish about it, but yeah. Yeah. Back when I ate meat, you'd have to have blood pudding or oh. black pudding, whatever you called it. It was, uh, yeah, it's just got that kind of umami richness that is, uh, it's very indulgent. Interesting. Yeah. I, when I was there, I never would have tried. I never would have, would have, I would have been like, okay, well that's, that's interesting. If I can get one without, then we won't be wasting one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for, I, I mean, for me, the, there was a lot of the fry up that like, it smelled amazing. It was a beautiful presentation, obviously a, a beautiful brown plate of brown food. Oh yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think now I'd be much more comfortable with, with the beans. Cause I, yeah. I why, why are there beans in the morning? Uh, it's quite I, a bold move, uh, yeah, to to load yourself up with gas like that. That's how I'm starting <laughs> my day. I'm starting yeah. my day knowing that I'm going to be gassy. But, well, you, you, get, you can get your fiber from porridge. You can get your fiber from from the beans. <laughs> yeah. it's, so, do you know how long that's been the traditional breakfast? Because it's one of those things where, like, it is true now, and it's been true for at least fifty years. So it must have been true for all of time, but. You, you know, I, I, I have no idea on the uh, the kind of history of the fry up. I I imagine that the kind of you know the the pork side of things would have been a kind of farmer's breakfast kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the introduction of things like beans and I mean they've they've got to be what fifties maybe I don't know. Yeah. Maybe even like wartime, 30s, 40s. Yeah, I mean, because I think beans are always tinned beans. Like, it's got to be like a real special, fancy sort of place that's serving freshly done beans, right? Yeah, yeah. No, they're definitely so, from a can. Yeah, and that, that seems very wartime to me. Like, we're... we're that, and this is my, my, I haven't read anything. I don't have any actual, this is just a, an assumption I've always made is that the rise of baked beans in England was largely due to, well, we're eating what we can yeah. for the, for the war effort. Not, not that they're like bad or there's anything genuinely negative about it, but I think it's like spam in Hawaii 
it was just circumstances led that to be very available, like more available than, than it normally would be. And it yeah. just kind of got a cultural hook in. Yeah. My, my friend was explaining to me the link between uh, Chinese people and spam, but I cannot for the life of me remember because her family is Chinese. Um, okay. She, she was born in Scotland actually, but yeah, she was saying like, you know, her parents love a bit of spam. <laughs> you know, it's kind of looked down on by some people, but sure. it, it's. Uh, I I didn't know that. I didn't know that about uh, Chinese culture, or maybe just China. Was it Chinese in China culture or Chinese like immigrant culture? That is a good question. I I will quiz her and get back to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've just had an article open because I was intrigued, and it looks like uh, way back the Victorians were all about the kind of cured meats and stuff for breakfast, but okay. I can't see where the beans come in. <laughs> I need to know. That, yeah. Let's hear Let me, let me see if I can pull up something. Who knows? <laughs> Cause uh, beans feel like a kind of cowboy thing to me. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's the, there's definitely the cowboy beans. It's got a Western feel. Hmm. I think they're seasoned differently. Like the cowboy sort of beans is going to be more brown sugar and, uh, and, uh, okay. Kind of what you'd think of as like a kind of barbecue flavor. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, people also ask, are beans good for breakfast? What kind of beans do the English eat for breakfast? Are <laughs> yeah. beans and eggs good for breakfast? And, what happens if you eat beans daily? Mm. I, I love people also ask. That's possibly my favorite feature of Google. It's very revealing about society, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, minor spoilers, I guess, for, for the series Dark. Did you watch Dark? I, I think we spoke about this before. I watched I thought, like the yeah, first series and then I kind of dropped off. Um, I don't know why. I just... Maybe I should pick it up again. Yeah, um, I love it. I love it so much. But uh, I, w I was searching for for something like really specific about like a, a family timeline or something, and uh, had people also ask, "Is Noah a Bartage?" A what? <laughs> Bartage. It's one of the other characters. Is Noah a Bartage? And okay. then I was uh, like, weeks later, I was looking for something else, and people also ask, "Is Bartage a Noah?" I don't understand. Oh, it's my favorite thing. Uh, well, the English breakfast is a centuries-old breakfast tradition, it says here. Wow. One that can trace its roots back to the early 1300s. This is, if I can give a, 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 a credit, from the English Breakfast Society. Wow. Um, yeah, let's search in page and see if we can find beans. Ah, uh, so... Heinz baked beans first came to the UK in 1886. Okay. Uh, and they were first sold in the very posh department store, Fortnum and Mason, which is quite a, wow. quite a change from where you'd find them today. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, pork chop. Now it doesn't really give a, a history of when the beans became part of breakfast, at least not that I can spot. Hmm. 
I, I really love there's like a few viral videos out there of like mostly quite young American kids trying beans on toast for the first time. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And being genuinely shocked that it's quite tasty. Yeah. I, I like picturing it in my head. I can't see anything wrong with it. Yeah. I put everything on toast, really. I mean, it's, it's quite carby, I suppose. It's, it it's is quite, that, yeah. quite heavy, but it's classic. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What, 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 yeah, what are the other aspects? What have we, so we've talked about uh, sausages, bacon, uh, beans, tomato. How, how is the tomato uh, prepared usually? I mean, if, if you're buying it in a pub or a cafe, it's, it's usually like a quite a big tomato cut in half and then grilled i think okay that's um, that's kind of what i'm picturing that kind of yeah up, yeah. yeah uh it's it's not the best part of the breakfast i have to say i'm a big fan of the mushrooms see and that yeah that's that's another aspect that i can definitely get behind i i, I love mm-hmm. i love a good cooked cooked mushroom yeah then you got your egg usually fried yeah or scrambled sometimes um, and then toast. That's kind of it, I think. Toast, yeah. Kind of key ingredients. Toast and a black pudding. It's yeah, that, and that's. I like I like that. I I need to to revisit it. I wonder if there's some place nearby that'll do a. <laughs> a a full English breakfast. Because really, going through all that, it's just you know the tomato. But if I eat a tomato, tomato, that's kind of the way I like it prepared. Okay. Just on the grill, a little salt, and that. That helps it out a lot. Um, open, more open to beans now than I was yeah. as a, a teen, and um, and really, it, it comes down to whether they have the the black pudding or not. Mm. If it's there, I'll. I mean, I'll try it. I I feel like I was reading something about because of you know it's basically awful. Yeah, I'm pretty sure mm. you can't get imported. Uh, like oh yeah. British black pudding, but I wonder if anyone, yeah. Yeah. Probably like, I bet like in New York or Chicago, you could, you could find it. I don't know about here in Utah. Mm. Also thinking about it, probably bad for my gout and I really shouldn't. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty rich. Yeah. Well. One to avoid. Now there's, now now that I'm open to it, I have an excuse where I can't actually. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. Oh, well. So uh, we've we've spent about twenty minutes talking about oh, beans and sausages. We have. Uh, <laughs> I think we should probably talk about your your first mixtape or, or mix CD. It. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> apparently I had done a, a cassette before before mm. I did this. Um, all right. Yeah. So um, the way the way I approached it uh, was like a so because yours yours seemed to be like a snapshot of. 2002 zen and, and and what you're listening to yeah um i tried to to make it like a big sweeping history i'm 16 years old at this 17 maybe a big sweeping history of 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 everything that makes up my my musical dna mm-hmm. so it's spread across two discs and um yeah it's 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 trying to be this this whole big thing and and when i i revisited it with with my friend Tamara in 2013 I I kind of wrote a a review of everything Mm. and I was kind of harsh on myself uh at the time and I I go back and forth now between yes that was great and 
come on guy what <laughs> but uh so it's spread across two cds i at the time did not have a cd burner so i commissioned a friend of mine to do oh, this wow. for me i i gave her my uh my cd case and i i had written out you know which discs what track number from the disc and where in the sequence it's supposed to go that's amazing i that's kind of ringing a bell i think i remember you telling me that um <laughs> It's it's amazing for as much as this feels like my thing, right? Making making the mix CDs, putting it all together. For in high school, it was a long time until I was in charge of the whole process. Mm. Um, because I just I didn't have. The... But that's that's pretty resourceful of you to yeah. to like <laughs> figure it all out like that. When it it, it had started, uh, with uh. So I, I was dating a girl in high school, my, my senior year, and we were having trouble kind of communicating because, it, you know, because we're teens and it's awkward. And yeah. I, I wasn't, I didn't really understand how to do or what you're supposed to do, or I didn't want to really talk about stuff. And so uh, a friend of ours, mutual friend was like, you, you seen uh, High Fidelity? I said, no, I haven't because I hadn't. He's mm. like, okay, well, you, you make a mixtape to explain your feelings. I'm like, that I can do. And it, yeah. thinking back on the tape that I made on the, the CD that I had my friend put together, horribly embarrassing as <laughs> it should be, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the track listing is there, but there, there's some sentiments that are uh, unfortunate. Why would you say that to a person? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, oh. that that was the first time I, I commissioned someone to do my mixtaping for me. Hmm. Um, I think that was my friend Angela, and I think she's the one who also did uh, 154 minutes for me. Oh uh, well, thank you, Angela, for for creating this masterpiece, or not, as we will see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so two big shadows that uh, that loom large here. Uh, one is uh, the BMG Record Club. Some some folks had Columbia House. Some folks found BMG. I don't really know what the the difference in a practical way is. Mm. Uh, are, are you familiar with the the record clubs? You you pay a so penny, you get twelve CDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think my mum might have done that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So in ninety seven ninety eight ish, I finally took the took the dive into you know. So you get twelve free or for a penny or whatever you buy one at regular price and then you get five more and then if you get a friend to sign up i think you get five or six more free ones nice so in idaho i got one friend to sign up but it was like a big social thing like he got stuff and returned them and got different things and so where he was getting like all this this heavy stuff i don't think they had metallica in there but like he got soulfly i think that's where he got system of a down um, all this sort of stuff. I was not as comfortable having that in my possession. Yeah. Which thinking back, it's very funny. My, my parents were not strict, I think with the music that I listened to, mm. but I assumed they would be. That's so and funny. so I made efforts to not own 
albums that had like a parental advisory sticker or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would tape the music. I'd have it on cassette, but I wouldn't have it in my collection. I'd borrow it from friends. No problem. But it, I wouldn't own any of it. Yeah. So uh, to, to the point where in, in high school, um, to, uh, junior or senior year, a friend of mine was like, hey, I'm kind of done with these, the first three corn albums. You can have them. And I was like, oh, man, I, ooh, I would. I, that's, that doesn't fit in my library or whatever. So dumb. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah I, so, I, I don't think that's, that's, I mean, it feels a bit weird now, but like even yeah. I remember um, one of my friends, he had a little brother and he bought, I think it was the Eminem album, uh, like the first or second one. Yeah. And did, then, did it have a, a screaming Vicodin on the CD? <laughs> Or was it, a, a, I think the Marshall Mathers LP was just like a, a whole pill. Yeah. The, I, th- the first I think one was it was, um, what was the, the second one with the, it was like dark and he's on a stage, I think. With the, oh, that would be, if he's on a stage, that's the Eminem show. That's the third one. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, must have been the third one, I guess. Um, and he got it home and started listening to it and there were swear words on it. And he's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with this. Um. So he gave it to me, bless him, because um, I had Self, no scruples, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so BMG, um, a lo- I, I didn't really realize it, but a lot of this stuff, stuff I got from BMG. Uh, the other, the other big thing on here, apparently, trumpets. Okay. A lot, a lot of these songs kind of trumpet heavy, uh, which is interesting because I was in a a place critically i suppose where i i was kind of railing against the 80s saxophone solo okay. and um a lot of synthesizers i was like this is not good big guitars are good and mm. and you know what became the 90s version of the 80s synthesizers the the sequencer and the drum machine these are good right. things because these are from the 90s and that's good and there's that's- integrity Kind of ironic, yeah. Uh, just reminding myself of some of the later tracks, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Oh yeah, we sure will. So okay, so let, let's let's start it off. It starts. Um, actually, we talked about the tape I made for my mom. Starts exactly the same way. Yeah. Uh, mum rock. <laughs> with the uh, maybe I'll pull that whole playlist and we'll we'll do that one one of these weeks. Uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins. Just waiting for the strings to come in. I want to hear something. Mm. That's, that's what I thought it was. So I, I'm pretty sure it starts with the strings, with real strings right there that we heard. Uh, mm. 
proper cello and violin and then switches to synthesizers. Okay. Um, when the, when it comes back around. So, um, so yeah, I basically did what you did on yours. You start mm-hmm. with a mood setting, uh, sort of piece different, definitely a different mood than future legend sets up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's but, not hard. So, yeah. so what kind of mood do you think you were going for? by by choosing this track well i was really just ripping off melancholy and the infinite sadness the album i was like this is this is great it starts off and it's it's a beautiful little piano piece and there's strings and then uh, then on the album it goes into tonight tonight but in my head i always skip straight to jelly belly yeah i was just it goes from this beautiful piano and strings to which we'll get to later on yeah. the same mix um and so the the way that that song was able to transition into all the variety the the highs and the lows and the different sounds of that album mm. uh i think that's kind of what i was going for plus oh this pretty song starts off an album i'll start my album with a pretty song yeah and kind of what i was going for it's just sad and sad and pretty it is it is sad but at the same time somehow kind of uplifting yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm sure there's some sort of musical theory to it with the the mix of the major and the minor. But yeah, the the swells of the strings and everything. And I'm sure Billy yeah. could talk for a few a few uh, hours about it. Yeah. Um. I, I I was trying to find some kind of quotes or something, but it's when it's the title, same title as the album. It's hard to find specifically stuff about that song. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's still, it still is one of my favorite, one of my favorite pieces. Yeah. Uh, but I've used it so much that it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's got itself into a, a different spot for me mentally where I don't think like, oh yeah. And like, I would never think to start something with that now. Mm. Like I've used it up. But, yeah, uh, I get that. I get that. Yeah. That's kind of a shame. Um, but I think we, we were kind of talking about this, one of our other chats, like where you kind of over listen to something. I think when we were talking about White yeah. Pony. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Honestly, maybe, uh, yeah, you need to give it a break. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That whole album, I think I've, I've done that. Yeah. Uh, where now, like I, I, I feel like I've, uh, synthesized, I've, I've pulled in Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. It's, it's in there. Mm-hmm. And now I, now when I'm like, oh, I should listen to Smashing Pumpkins, I want to listen to something that maybe I don't know quite beat for beat. So uh, honestly, Siamese Dream, I don't know it that well. Yeah. Uh, so I'll listen to Siamese Dream or, or Pisces Iscariot or something new. Um, thanks to, to the public library system, I, I've got the new Smashing Pumpkins yeah. uh, as well. So, uh, so that's kind of what I go for. But I did a few weeks ago. I was like, you know what? No, it's it's a melancholy and infinite sadness day at work today. Nice. So, yeah. Um, all right. So let yeah, let's roll on to the to the next one. And I like the way it it uh, does the transition here. So we'll pick up at the end.
there is no one, nothing to see. The night is useless, and so are we. Cause everybody knows the fabric of folly is falling apart at the seams. And I've been looking for a good time, but the pleasures are seldom and few. So that is uh, Oh Maria by Beck. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I do love the way, you know, Melancholy ends with the going down. And then Oh Maria picks up going the yeah. other way, going back up. Um, so this is an interesting, an interesting pick. This is one where like I, after I'd let this album kind of sit and, and be what it was for, for a few years, when I came back to it, I was like, that's the Beck song. That's the one. There's only one Beck song in the whole 154 minutes. And Oh Maria. That's the one you chose. That's the one I chose. I mean, I, I I know it's very contextual, you know, it's, it's the album that that grips you when you're in your influential years, but I love mutations. I think it's a fantastic album. Oh, for sure. It's, yeah, that uh, so here's where BMG comes in. Mm. Uh, that is one of the few. So they they start sending you one every month. That's like mm. the club part of it. Uh, and typically, what I would do is I would open the the packaging, see what it was, think about it for a little bit, and then if if I didn't want it, I would close it back up, hot glue the cardboard back down, put it in the mailboxes, refused. Right. Uh, so that's that's usually what I did. But when mutations came, I had I think I had just listened to Odelay again, public mm-hmm. library. Uh, I, I got Odelay, put it on a tape. Um, so it was Odelay on one side and Tiny Music by Stone Temple Pilots on the other. Okay, it was a good tape. Um, <laughs> they're all good. What am I saying? Uh, but yeah, and then Beck came. This mutations, this new album. I was like, oh, cool. I love this last album and it's so different. So different. So yeah. different. But it still does that thing that I loved on Odelay where it's style after style after style after style. Like, oh, Marie is this weird uh, drunken Western honky tonk sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's like dead melodies, which is just drifting and there's no drums to it. Um, it Yeah, it's... It's a, a very, I think, underrated kind of a forgotten Beck album. Mm. Um, if if I remember right, the way he was kind of doing it was it was like a one for you, one for me. And so okay. yeah, Stereopathetic Soul Manure was like for him. And then Mellow Gold was for the label. And then Got ya. Odelay was for, for the label and Mutations was supposed to be his little independent release. Hmm. Um, but contractual things or whatever it was, it, it got put out as, as the, uh, the major label release. I hmm. think I, that's, that's kind of what I remember from 1999. Uh, yeah, I, that was, that was my Beck album. And I, I don't know that I, I listen to it very much anymore. Um, but I, and then I realized why I went with Oh Maria which I don't even think is my favorite track from that record. 
I, I love Tropicalia. Tropicalia probably would have been my pick. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to remember. I feel like that's quite funky though. I mean, that yeah. would have gone later in the mix, but like nobody's fault, but my own. I used to oh, love. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one's gorgeous and mm-hmm. haunting and yeah. And again, no drums, I think on that one, which kind of blew my mind. I was like, you've got this, this pop song and it's just, it's, and there's no, you know, beat to it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, wasn't ready for that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remembered why. Interesting, I actually. Yeah. Sorry, just just reminded me. Uh, I know I was talking last time about uh, the Sparks documentary I oh, watched yeah. recently by Edgar Wright, and Beck is on that as like a mega Sparks fan. Um, that tracks, yeah. And interestingly, yeah, one of their songs, one of their singles, has no beat at all, and that was something that came up in the documentary. So that oh, kind of, cool. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but the the reason it's Oh Maria mm. is a summer romance. Um, I it's so it's so funny. It was just like such a brief, weird little middle school thing. So it was it was mm. the summer of ninety eight, ninety eight or ninety nine, and uh, this girl came to visit like her aunt in who was on the, the base in Idaho on the airbase, And one of the first people she met there was my friend, Ralph. And Ralph is kind of a difficult hang. Okay. Uh, he, he can be quite a bit. He, he's uh, like in modern parlance, I think he's a bit of an edgelord. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, but he's, he's also like kind of shy about it. I don't know. It, 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 anyway. So Ralph, uh, introduced us and we kind of hung out the three of us and then one of her other friends that summer and I was like oh man she's great and you know she's pretty and we're hanging out and it's this cool connection and then she goes away yeah um but uh, but her name was Maria and so oh Maria became the like it kind of represented that aspect and that's how it became the Beck song that I picked for my personal snapshot of of my musical history so that's so teenage isn't it i love it it? it's the (laughs) most the most teen um all right i i kind of want to try at least on some of these to to hit the post in a, a radio way where you talk right up until the uh the vocals come in Mm. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll do it later.
so with cure um, mm. so that it, it starts it's kind of like an acoustic segment um this first part of the first disc uh because i i went and uh like i had mentioned uh trumpets is a big theme here mm. but i went with the acoustic one that doesn't have the trumpets uh even though that's part of why I love the the song itself is because the, the the regular version has trumpets. I was like, look, it's the '80s and there's trumpets instead of saxophone. Look at that! <laughs> yeah. So dumb. But what a great uh, version! It's... It really, yeah. Where where is it from? The the acoustic version. Uh, so I had, um, I guess, if we go back to BMG, I had tried to get into the Cure a couple of times. Because I, uh, you know, I, I knew Friday I'm in Love and Just Like Heaven. And I, you know, I knew some like real heavy hitters. Boys Don't mm. Cry. Love Cats. Uh, I may have known Love Cats. Yeah. But I got, I was like, oh, cool. Well, they've got these two singles collections in BMG. So there's Staring at the Sea, which is uh, like 79 to 86, I think. And then mm. Galore, which is 87 to 97. Okay. But I think what happened with both of those, and I think I, I tried more staring at the sea. I was like, well, you got to start at the beginning, right? You got to go through. But there's a lot of stuff that wasn't just like heaven on there. Mm. You know, play for today and, and a forest and a, uh, a walk. Great songs, songs I love now, but they just didn't catch me. And then uh, listening through galore again, just a lot of songs that were kind of in between what I was hoping for. Hmm. Uh, but then around Christmas 2001, they put out uh, an album that was just greatest hits instead of collections of all their singles from a certain era. So it was that whole time collapsed down, kind of distilled. Hmm. And the version that I found had an acoustic CD. Oh, nice. So they went through and all the songs that were on the greatest hits, they had done redone new recordings for the acoustic CD. Was this um was the greatest hits? Was it the one it's got a kind of blue background with like stars? Blue with the stars and Robert. Yeah. You see Robert, but he's covering his face. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, my sister. Well, my sister did have that CD. Yeah, not yeah, not every one. version had that acoustic hits. It's mm. and it's not on Spotify. So the Spotify playlist I put just has a regular Why Can't I Be You. Mm. Um, but one of the things that that acoustic hits did for me is uh, listening to the new recordings of some of those much older songs. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, these drums are way better. Like, I never would have noticed just listening to to the early Cure stuff mm. that it's, it feels a little stiff, like it's just kind of the vibe. But hearing this new drummer, I don't know who the new one is uh, or who was the drummer at the time. Mm. But I was like, oh, Lal Tolhurst wasn't a good drummer. Ooh, you're gonna upset some cure heads there i i might i might but like i mean he didn't even stay on drums like they he stayed in the band and was replaced as the drummer he played keys for a, for a few records ah. so i i think it's it's kind of acceptable i think might he might even uh admit to it that he he was the drummer because he was friends with uh uh robert and was it Porl the first Simon? Oh, Simon Billings, I want to say. I don't know. Simon, My Cure trivia yeah. is not very good. 
but yeah, he, 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 you know, they were school buddies. And so he got to be the drummer. Um, yeah. And then they found a role that was a little better for him is, is at least how it is in, in my head. And that's that acoustic album is what let me know that. Oh, I, I like um, knowing now the backstory of Oh Maria. Um, I like that this comes afterwards because this is very much like a, I, I feel like it's, it's a teenage. Um, sort of. Yeah. An infatuation sort infatuation of. Infatuation is exactly the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm so obsessed with you. I don't just want to be with you. I want to be you, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm smitten. I'm bitten. I'm hooked. I'm cooked. I'm stuck like glue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think it was more, I, 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 in, in my, I was looking at my liner notes from when I redid these in 2013 and I was like, mm. Oh, I, and I had said there, like, I don't know if I'd ever actually fully felt that, but I liked the idea of it. Yeah. So yeah, but Did yeah, it- it's <laughs> just kind of like a, a, a horny sort of, uh, yeah, there's like an not urgency, but there's an urge, I guess, behind it. There's there's yeah. there's energy with, for sure. Totally. Do you know what I've just realised? Simon yeah. Billings is <laughs> he is the head of an organisation called Eating Better, the Eating Better Alliance in the UK. <laughs> I don't know why his name came to came to mind. The name I was looking for was Simon Gallup. Gallup. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Simon ga- galloping like a galloping baseline. That's I think how I I would often associate it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that that was the cure. That's how the cure ended up on here because I finally got it, and it was the hits collection. Mm. Uh, and I've listened to tons of of Cure since then, like actual albums. You know, uh, Wish I love, and uh, actually got. Um, when it was a US re-release, because th- Three Imaginary Boys, that's the album title I'm trying to think of, mm-hmm. wasn't released in the US. That was that was UK only. And then uh, uh, that was 79. And then I think 80 or 81 in the US, there was an album called Boys Don't Cry, which had most of Three Imaginary Boys plus the single Boys Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, when that was re-released, or maybe maybe I was in an English record store when I found it. But I, 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 it's it's a tough. Like if you are coming to that album only knowing just like Heaven and Friday, I'm in love, yeah. uh, and pictures of you. It's it's raw, man. It's a tough listen if that's all you know is the the lush, uh, big big cure sound because it's just the, it is just the three imaginary boys there. It's just the three of them. And it's very starting out. It's very punk rock, very like DIY. Mm. Um, but I, I like it. They've got a, this crazy cover of Foxy Lady. Oh, really? Yeah, it's. I'll I'll have to post that one because that's that's an interesting listen, oh, uh, wow. especially if you've heard their what is their because I got a Jimi Hendrix tribute album partially because The Cure was on there, and I was like, that's interesting. Um, and the one they do on there is very much a, a, a modern, like post disintegration cure song, uh, but they're foxy lady. They just kind of plow right through it. It's great. Wow. Yeah, no, I, again, my, my cure knowledge is really poor. And, and one of my good friends is an absolute cure fanatic. Um, like she's seen them 
you know, countless times and met them all and stuff. So uh, I, I apologize for my uh, shameful, shameful knowledge on this one. Uh, no, no, fair enough, though. But it's it's a good track and I'm happy with it being on there. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's roll on to the to the next one. So another acoustic version of a, a, a and the album version here is much more heavily produced. Uh, let's let's hit it off. Is Dead Man Walking by David Bowie? his head, tears his eyes from the screen, as his past puts him back in Atlantic City, there's not even a demon in heaven or hell, is it all just human disguise as I walk down the aisle, and I'm gone. Now I'm older than movies And I know who's there When silhouettes fall And I'm gone Like I'm dancing on angels And I'm gone Through the cracks in the past Like a dead man walking All right, so that is uh, live on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, Super stripped back version. Yeah, for for the listener who may not be familiar, I, can I, mean to, I uh, did prepare uh, the album version here. So this is the so that's the version that I put on the on the mix. This is the version from the album Earthling. And right away. Yeah. This world is tears his eyes from the screen. Yeah, so that's that's what it came from. Hmm. And His, you can hear uh, drum and bass phase. <laughs> yeah, which I, which honestly made me realize I should probably listen to some more actual drum and bass, not just rock and roll influenced by drum and bass. Um, that that's kind of a, a realization just from the last few years. I was like, oh, let's let's go back and see what there what there was to from the electronics electronica of the nineties. Hmm. Uh, and. Recently, I, I discovered there were, there were a fair amount of performances where it was just uh, David and Reeves, uh, two guitars. Uh, they do a version of uh, oh, so so Neil Young does every I think every year uh, Bridge School benefit. There's a, a music school called the Bridge School. Yes, and there's acoustic performances. Um, there's some really really interesting ones. Uh, I got a collection of them again from the public library. Uh, Nora Jones covering Wilco's Jesus, etc. Amazing. Uh, very interesting to hear Metallica do an acoustic version of Disposable Heroes. Wow. Um, okay. 
yeah, the the sort of Metallica riffing, I'm going to go ahead and say it, doesn't sound good on acoustic guitars. <laughs> I <laughs> can imagine. Uh, but on, on YouTube, you can find uh, those two doing uh, I Can't Read, just the two of them on acoustic guitars uh, for the bridge school. Yeah, so that was one of my many uh, bootleg CDs. Like, oh, I think cool. it must have been around this time. I found this guy who was in like, uh, I can't remember. He was in one of the kind of like Scandinavian countries. Um, and we did this really weird online exchange that he sent me like 50 David Bowie bootlegs. And I sent him a load of Laurel and Hardy DVDs. <laughs> I don't know. It's what he wanted. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, this was one of them. Uh, the, the, the bridge the, school the bridge benefit. School? Oh, that's mm. great. Yeah, it's great, great CD. It, and that's where you got uh, Hurling Disdain, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would have been from him as well. That's awesome. Mm. That's that, that bootleg, there's versions on there that in my head are kind of the normal versions, like things that happen on those versions that I expect every time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So that Hurling Disdain is the one with um, Trent Reznor, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. So, um, so and I, I so live from six A. Um, the it was a collection of live performances on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Mm. Uh, also a BMG selection. How funny! I got a good number of compilations from. It's like, oh look, that's that's got uh, David Bowie. That's got uh, Soul Coughing. That's got uh, what have you. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember what else is on there. Edwin McCain, not Edwin McCain. That's I'll be. Who's a, a girl like you? And I never uh, met yeah, yeah, a girl yeah, yeah. like you before. That's Ed, not one Ed, of the reasons Edwin. I got it. Oh, Edwin no. Star. Um, there we go. I, I hear your keyboard going. I'll let you find it. Edwin Collins. Edwin Collins, yeah. Mm. Um, that, that's not one of the reasons I got it, but that's on there as well. Just trying to remember what else. It's a great, great compilation. I think it's got mm. three. Yeah, it's got three eleven on there too. That's <laughs> that, three one one. Yeah, three one one. So <laughs> I got that and uh, one that I think comes up later. Yeah, towards the end of this compilation, uh, that was a collection of live performances from MTV's 120 Minutes. Mm. So those both came from BMG because I was like, I like a lot of these bands. Let's let's see how it goes. That was that was great, and obviously knowing that I was making this for someone who's a big Bowie fan, it was kind of a flex to to pull this live acoustic version out. Yeah, absolutely, and it's definitely not something I would have heard before you sent it. So yeah, and I it's it's interesting thinking about like what becomes the the normal version in your head. Hmm. Um, Every time I go back and listen to Earthling, I'm like, oh yeah, Dead Man Walking was was this big, huge, bombastic thing. Mm. Um, but I just love how they were able to to distill that, how that translated perfectly into just two acoustic guitars. It's, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because yeah, when yeah. you listen to the original, it's just so many layers, and you've got like, I think it's Gayland Dorsey doing the, say, yeah, the kind the of Dorsey operatic. Vocals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and the the whole chorus even like and I'm gone and there's like a Ooh. kind of 
speak singing to the and they just they don't need that on the acoustic one it's it's just two minutes shorter and uh yeah i mean obviously for tv i guess you gotta trim down but yeah that's i love that uh i love that performance there i kind of like the idea that maybe almost certainly there were some people who were watching that um that show and were like i'm gonna go out and buy earthling because of this (laughs) (laughs) probably horrified yeah it was earthling was a, a a so that was my first album, like Bowie album album. Okay. Because um, my dad had uh, Changes Bowie and mm-hmm. he had singles, I think it's 69 to 93. Um, and so that's kind of what I what I listened to. And as, as a kid, you know, that's what you needed. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, and, and so I consider myself a person who likes David Bowie. And in middle school, seventh or eighth grade, uh, we uh, we went on a school skiing trip. Mm-hmm. And on the bus up, um, you know, we're passing around CDs and CD players, and I'll listen to this. Um, and this kid, Travis, uh, handed me his, I, I forget exactly how it happened, but he had Earthling in there. And he was like a little embarrassed to be listening to something that's not coal chamber or, or what have you. And so he's like, Oh, don't make fun of me for my David Bowie CD. I was like, no, I like David Bowie. I want to listen to this. So I, I listened to a bit of it. And then I mountain home at the time had one record store. Yeah. Uh, they no longer have that record store, but it was, it was a cool, just tiny little hole in the wall with uh, velvet black light posters up and, that's nice. the only thing I remember buying from there was was a used copy of Earthling. Aww. And so, so yeah, that was my first like album album. Yeah, it's it, that made me kind of think what was my first album. I think my dad had Space Oddity on cassette. And other than that, I don't think we had any David Bowie albums at home. And then the first one I bought was would have been ours, I think. Oh wow! Yeah, but then I kind of plowed through the back catalogue. And... So, was it ours that that hooked you, or or what? How did that come about? No, my mum. I think my mum bought me ours because she knew I liked David Bowie. So I think actually that there must have been like a best of or something before that. But in terms of studio albums, that was uh... that was the one, huh? Yeah, interesting. Because it in in the you know looking back, it's there. It's not a bad album. I don't but, love it. I've got to say. Yeah, but the way it um, falls between Earthling, which is this biggest, like it's it's a definitive sound, and then Heathen, mm-hmm. which he, was he, amazing. Heathen is up there for me. Um, I mean, not least of of all, because it was the first album I saw him tour. Oh, cool. Um, So obviously it's got that kind of nostalgic, you know, link. But I think it's amazing. It was Tony Visconti, wasn't it? It might have been, yeah. It might have been like the return of of Tony. I want to say that it was. Yeah. But yeah, ours is just kind of, it was okay. Yeah, I remember being, because I... Oh, part of my my uh, association with Earthling is I thought there was far more Trent Reznor than there really was. 
which is actually none <laughs> on the album. Uh, Interesting. It's just yeah. in the the video, the music video was one of the Reznor versions of "I'm Afraid of Americans." Um, yeah. And I, I plowed through those liner notes looking for his name, and I didn't find it anywhere. But I was like, "It's got to be there. It's what I knew." Um, that's funny. I completely forgot uh, until we were t- I brought it up. But that "I'm Afraid of Americans" was the big single from that one. Yeah. Uh, the the big cultural impact because I remember seeing him on SNL. Um, and they did little wonder mm. and then on Conan, they did dead man walking. Um, they, they might've done afraid of Americans as the other musical number on SNL, but, but those are the, the memories I have from the, the spiky orange hair period. Yeah. I, I actually, um, I bought, ah, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna boil my brain. Some kind <laughs> of, um, alien magazine like you know people who believe in aliens because okay. it had it had david bowie on the front cover in that era yeah <laughs> and i the article itself was just some tiny little pointless thing about all the songs that david bowie's written about aliens and his sure. link to to you know space <laughs> and stuff like that but yeah the 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 interest was strong at that point <laughs> That's great. And that, oh man, the, the coat though, the Union Jack coat. Iconic. Yeah. And, and in a way that I, I feel like Bowie hadn't had for, for a long time at that point. Cause you've, you, you know, you got your, your signature looks, your Halloween Jack and your uh, thin white Duke with the, you know, the white shirt and the vest. Yeah. But there, there wasn't really that like, oh, ba boom for a while. He, yeah, he had like he, an eighties look that he held on to, but he went quite middle of the road, didn't he? With like black tie, white noise, and yeah. bitter of suburbia and stuff. And then, I guess I don't know how the collaboration came up, but so this was an Alexander McQueen design, um, okay. who's like you know, kind of strong links to like Vivian Westwood and the kind of punk scene of the seventies, and just very yeah. very iconic. Um, but yeah, what what a iconic look that 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 album cover. I had a poster of that. I don't know what ever happened to that. Yeah, it's it's definitely one that deserves to be a poster. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's do one more, I yeah. think, and then we'll we'll call it uh, a good episode sized episode. Yeah. So we're, um, we're still in acoustic mode, aren't we? Still in Oh, this is, yeah, this is perfect. This will wrap up the acoustic section without doing that. The thing that the album itself does, which is a horrible, jarring transition to Depeche <laughs> Mode. This is the thing I am hardest on myself about. And we'll talk about it next time. Mm-hmm. But, but going from, from this song, Pool Shark by Sublime, the acoustic version, to Depeche Mode. One of my great failures. <laughs> There we go. Lying in my plastic bed, thinking how things weren't so cool to me. My baby likes to shuffle like a lion naked in my bedroom, lying on the dinosaur tonight. Now I've got the meal and I can't shake 
It is a tiny little song, and it is horribly sad. Mm. And and so I, I was thinking, like, where, where does this song relate to me? I was like, oh, yeah, you know, my high school heroin problem. Obviously, <laughs> look at me posing. But but it's it's not obvious. I knew at the time I did. It wasn't who I was. It didn't relate to me, but it's good storytelling yeah and it's yeah i mean i think uh, like we were saying with the 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 song on 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 my mixtape that's about like you know dealers and crack and stuff oh yeah the life from the itchy side yeah yeah you you don't have to relate to the experience directly to to know that it's moving or or interesting you know yeah i mean that's i the the suburban the white suburban love of jay-z and eminem you know, it's not your yeah. thing, but it's it's a mythology, and I I really mythologized the band Sublime. Um, I wasn't like a huge fan. Like I knew kids who loved Sublime far more than I did, but I mm-hmm. I had built this mythology on them. Um, some a thing I would sometimes do is like draw a one to one between bands. Mm-hmm. Um, that like Weezer and Tool, I did this with. Um, okay <laughs> yeah 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 so so undertow came out in 93 but i was in my head for the purposes of this it was 94 so the blue album and undertow come out in 94 then pinkerton and anima come out in 96 and then it's five more years and then the green album and lateralis come out in 2001 okay um yeah, and the move from undertow to anima and blue album to pinkerton it's a big sonic shift um, it's a, a different tone. Now the, the, each band reacts to the, the change much differently. Weezer reverts right back to, to blue album, gets Rick Ocasek back for the next record and, and, it kind of abandons Pinkerton where tool kind of digs deeper into what they started with lateralis. Mm. Um, and then the other thing Weezer uh, rivers Cuomo and Maynard James Keenan, both five foot seven. <laughs> Now you're reaching. Now you're reaching. <laughs> so with Sublime, it was Sub- Sublime and Nirvana. Three-piece bands, three uh, proper studio albums, um, heroin problems for the singers, great guitarists, um, and as far as like official releases, three studio albums, an acoustic album, and a live album. Because Nirvana had uh, Unplugged in New York and From the Muddy Banks of the Wishka, and Sublime had Bradley Nolan, Friends Acoustic, and Stand By Your Van, which I still, to this day, haven't actually listened to. Um, so so that, that was my, my kind of one-to-one, and I feel like Sublime, honestly, I still feel Sublime is underrated hmm. because they've got this beach bro sort of vibe, and it's now it, it is a little more difficult for me. Uh, so the, the tone of some of the stuff, um, the treatment of women as music from the past will often yeah. struggle with. But, Absolutely. And it, it's one of those, those things where I think Bradley might consider himself a bit of a feminist after a fashion 
but just the water we swam in in 1997 or whatever mm. allowed you to also be pretty misogynistic at the same time. Yeah. Here nor there. I think Bradley's a, a great singer. I think he's a, a very underrated guitarist, though the more I, I listen, I, I hear where stuff has kind of been recycled uh, mm. from like a B-side or something repurposed, and they cover a lot of songs. Mm. Um, if, if you listen to the average Sublime record, it's maybe 60% Sublime songs, 40% covers or stuff with big interpolations. Yeah. Uh, but the, and to me, at High School Damon, it was a big, big deal to me when an artist or a band did more than one sound especially yeah. over the course of a single album. So Sublime with their uh, punk rock, ska, reggae, hip hop, dub, and then the acoustic album on top of it really, really kind of put put them up there. Mm. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we touched on this before, but I don't feel like Sublime really kind of penetrated my musical, you know, uh, influences like I didn't really have any friends who were into it until my friend Cindy moved over from New Zealand she yeah. loves sublime she's got a sublime tattoo um oh wow so I I'm trying to remember the the timeline of things but I feel like when I first heard this mix I didn't really know who sublime were at all so for this to be the first song oh wow yeah that introduced it, I, I didn't quite get it. It, it didn't really right. make sense to me. Um, and it was only, I feel, yeah, I feel like this is right. It was, it was only after I'd listened to some mixes from Cindy with things like Santeria and stuff, and then came back to this. I was like, yeah, this is right. pretty cool. This is good. You know? <laughs> yeah. And the, um, yeah, the, the last, the last thing I definitely want to include is just the final note of this acoustic version. It's just so. Mm, uh, get the volume already up. Yeah, this is how it. I'm gonna lose the war. Just that that chord that's not quite there, mm. and very symbolic. Very very good. Utterly ruined by what I do next on the mix, but <laughs> we'll deal with that next time. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, anything you've been watching? Um, that you want to uh, get out there? Um, hmm. get people what have into? I been watching? I, I started watching this new thing on Netflix. Um, Arcane, I think it's called. Oh, but, the, the League of Legends. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know what League so. of Legends is. It's a game, right? Yeah, it's, it's a computer. I, I know very little about it, but I know it's a very popular eSport. Uh -huh. um, someone I follow on Twitter has started casting like professional league of legends games doing oh, right. commentary and play-by-play -play and stuff like that um still personally not very interested but i'm very happy for them yeah totally that's it i mean you know i i really like kind of fantasy novels that has that kind of steampunky vibe and you know tabletop games like dungeons and dragons and things like that um What's the other one? Gloomhaven, that kind of thing. And it kind of okay. feels like oh, yeah. that that kind of vibe. Uh, and it's just really nicely animated. So, yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, I, I've thought about it because I've seen, you know, people, will you like it if you don't like League of Legends? And I was like, well, I want to see if I do, but I also don't have a lot of time for for watching stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so right right now, um, working my way through the latest seasons of Sex Education and Big Mouth. Yeah. Um, so very, very similar kind of in the, the, the vibe. Very different, very similar, honestly. Um, that's what I've been enjoying um yeah uh guys if you want to follow us on the social medias uh our twitter is at iis pod our instagram is at iis podcast our email if you want to give us corrections or lengthy diatribes or whatever that won't fit in a twitter comment um international nope or internet strangers pod at gmail.com and uh yeah and if you wanted to oh where did i write this down uh, yeah and if you want to uh befriend me on uh mario kart tour my player code is one three seven nine eight three zero zero two nine nine five and i i haven't found my notebook where I, I wrote down all my ideas for endings um so we will close this episode with the sign off from colt cabana's art of wrestling which is a great uh, wrestling interview podcast. Colt uh, is an independent wrestler. He he was in WWE for a little bit, uh, like they say in in the in the parlance, for a cup of coffee. And uh, he does great uh, interviews with independent wrestlers. Um, that show he did for like ten years. It's basically on hiatus, uh, and he has another podcast that he's doing now. But and as always for Colt Cabana, I'm Colt Cabana. Thanks.